Welcome to Danielle Smith's Fraser Forum. This program is part of a series of podcasts doing in-depth interviews on free enterprise and personal liberty. I'm your host, Danielle Smith, president of the Alberta Enterprise Group. Go to fraserforum.org where you can subscribe, comment on the program, and see links to the studies we discuss. You will also find archives of previous episodes. Our email address is danielle at fraserforum.org. We'd love to hear from you. Restaurants open and close all the time. Retailers open and close all the time. These are not employers that have huge profit margins out of which uh, higher minimum wages can be can be paid. I, again, I think a lot of supporters of the minimum wage don't reflect carefully enough on this fact. Welcome to another edition of Danielle Smith's Fraser Forum. I'm Danielle Smith, president of the Alberta Enterprise Group. And today we are speaking with Donald Boudreau. He is a professor of economics at George Mason University. He is also a uh, Martha and Nelson Getchell Chair for the Study of Free Market Capitalism at the Mercatus Center. And of course, he is also a senior fellow of the Fraser Institute. And he joins us now to talk about minimum wage. I thought we'd be able to add a number of topics there, but sounds like there's plenty to talk about with minimum wage studies over the years. Thank you so much for being with us, Professor. Thanks for having me. I want to talk about, uh, first of all, so people can follow you on Cafe Hayek, because when I took my economics degree, I only took a Bachelor of Arts and we didn't have any introduction to Hayek or any of the Austrian school. You had to wait until you got into graduate studies before you could be exposed to to, to that type of economics analysis. And I, I just wonder um, if, if you've noticed that in uh, economics programs ac across the country. If that's sort of unique to my economics oh, experience. Oh no, no, no. In fact, I, I, I was, I had the incredible good fortune. I went to a, a small school in South Louisiana, and I happened to have a professor there named Bill Field, who I hold very dear, who, as an undergraduate, was in, very much into Hayek, and he introduced me to the work of Hayek. Uh, the, had I gone to almost any other school, I would have never heard of Hayek until I got to graduate school, as you pointed out. And the only reason that most professional economists today even know the name of Hayek, the, the economist rather than the Mexican actress, is uh, that uh, uh, he won a Nobel Prize. He was a, he was a co-winner in 1974. The vast majority of economists uh, don't read Hayek. If you ask them, well, who's Hayek? They say, well, he won the Nobel Prize. He was some sort of free market radical. He wrote a book called The Road to Serfdom, and he did some work on knowledge. But they don't really, they don't really know what that means, and they certainly don't read Hayek. But early on, as an 18 or 19 year old, I became quite uh, 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 infatuated with the work of Hayek. And since he's my great intellectual hero. And so when my former colleague, Russ Roberts, and I, many years ago, 2004, were thinking of starting a blog, uh, we bounced around a number of names and, and we came up with Cafe Hayek. Russ is also a, a big fan of, of Hayek. Um, and, and the thing I like about Hayek, the there's a lot of things I like about Hayek, the scholar, but uh, in addition to his, his erudition, uh, he, 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 he drove home to me just how enormously complex social reality is. And much of the error that I see both in policymaking and in economic analysis, formal economic analysis, stems from a failure to appreciate the complexity of society. And, and Hayek was all about emphasizing the complexity 
of society and, and, and explaining how best to deal with it, which social institutions are best to deal with that complexity. Because uh, if you don't appreciate the complexity, you impose solutions, so-called, uh, that, that actually make things worse. So I have this blog, Cafe Hayek. It's not just about Hayek. It's named after Hayek. Every, you know, I often mention Hayek because he's a big influence on me, but it's not, it's not a blog devoted to explaining Hayek. It's basically my, my place where I pontificate about whatever economic or social issues I, that I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, attracted to for the day. You know what I think the problem is, is that uh, Hayek doesn't offer much to politicians who think that they're right. smart enough to be the central planner. That always seems the difference between That's liberals right. or conservatives is they just think that they can hire smarter people and be able to figure it all out. But there does still seem to be this bias towards uh, towards central planning. Whereas, yeah. tell me what Hayek has to say when we get into to minimum wage. When you draw on his theories, what would he say about about minimum minimum wage? How should we be approaching that issue from an Austrian perspective? So the first thing he would say is that uh, all prices and wages are just the the name of the hourly price of labor that we we use. All prices in markets such as in the United States and Canada, in market oriented economies, these are not arbitrary. Figures. These are not these are not determined by some arbitrary authority. So so employers don't set wages. Workers don't set wages. They emerge in a competitive process, and the wages that emerge in a market economy reflect all manner of different trade-offs. How attractive the job is, how difficult the job is, uh, how most importantly, how productive the labor is to the employer. Employers are not in the charity business. They don't hire you in order to make you better off. You, you are made better off, but they hire you because you help them uh, add to their bottom line. And if you don't, you, you, you don't remain employed. So Hayek would emphasize that, that, that wages emerge in a competitive process and that no authority can fully understand all the many complexities that lead to the creation and to the change of various wages. And so when a minimum wage is set, this is this is the arrogance of, of, of government authorities saying, we believe the wage should be higher. And those authorities are ignoring the many, many complexities that lead employers and employees to agree on those wages. Of course, workers would always like to work for wages that are higher. Of course, employers would always like to employ workers at a wage that's lower. Uh, but when we observe wages in the free market, we must keep in mind that these are wages agreed to, not only by the employer, but by the employee as well. If the employee had better options, the employee would be working somewhere else with those better options, probably at a higher wage. And the fact that we don't observe that means that those jobs are probably the best ones that those workers can get. And so when you raise the minimum wage, you interfere with, the, with, with, with those workers Options. I want to say one thing at, at, at the beginning before we before we we go on. Um, so we're going to talk about the minimum wage. Most of the discussion in the popular media and, and politics about the minimum wage, certainly in the U.S., I suspect it's true in Canada as well. Uh, the, the, the debate is conducted as if it's between employers and and workers. Right. So in, 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 in workers want higher wages and employers want lower wages. Well, of course, employers don't like to be forced to pay higher wages. But the way we economists just conduct the minimum wage debate, certainly the way I conduct the minimum wage debate, it, it has nothing to do with employers or, or employers are in the background. 
When, when, when I express opposition to the minimum wage, that opposition is not because I'm pro-employer. That opposition, not that I'm anti-employer, but it's not because I'm pro-employer. My opposition to the minimum wage, I hope I'll have the opportunity to explain, is because I'm pro-worker. The minimum wage uh, d does not, the, 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 those of us who oppose the minimum wage are not saying, oh, the minimum wage imposes an unjust burden on employers, uh, and, and so you shouldn't do it. We opponents of the minimum wage say the minimum wage imposes an unjust burden on a certain number of workers to the advantage of other workers. And we, so, we see no reason why some workers should be advantaged uh, uh, at the expense of, of other workers. So it's not an employer versus worker debate. It's a worker wor versus worker debate. And I love the way you frame it out in a couple of your analogies. I'm going to get you to talk about the monstrous monarchs in just a minute. But you know how the framing, I think part of what ended up turning the debate in our country was that they began with a discussion of living wage. And I think it was quite clever from a marketing point of view because they connected, well, you just can't live on that amount of money. And so they connect, disconnected it from the forces of supply and demand that we were talking about and turned it into an existential issue that if you don't pay the head of a household certain amount of money, they're not going to be able to feed themselves or pay for their groceries or uh, pay for their family or be able to keep a roof over their heads. And I, I think that that was quite a clever way of putting it because it did end up creating a huge amount of momentum by attaching what the minimum amount that you need to cover your basic needs is to the minimum wage. Now, is that an, is that an illegitimate way of looking at the issue? Yes. Yes, uh, there there are several things wrong with it. Let me let me hit now at least on two. Uh, number one, the argument that economists make against the minimum wage, or one I think indisputable prediction that falls out of economic theory from the analysis of the minimum wage, is that by pushing the wage higher than it would otherwise be on the market, you were going to destroy some jobs. There's overwhelming evidence, in my view, that that in fact happens. Not all studies find that, but most studies continue to find this. So you put some workers out of a job. So no matter how difficult it is to live on whatever you're earning at, at whatever the wage would be without the minimum wage, it's still some positive amount of income. It's much more difficult to live on nothing, which is what the workers who are unemployed have to live on once the minimum wage has thrown them into the ranks of the unemployed. So, if, if it, so, so it, it, it isn't the case that simply raising the minimum wage raises the income of all, of all uh, workers. It does raise the income of some workers. It reduces the income down to zero of many other workers. A second problem with that argument is that, now I'm speaking here of the US, I'm, my, I would bet a lot of money that a similar pattern reigns in Canada as well. But in, in the United States, very few minimum wage workers are heads of households. It's in the single percentage point. The typical minimum wage worker in the United States is very young. They're, the minimum wage uh, uh, applies mostly to low-skill workers. Low, another a synonym, a near synonym for low-skill workers are teenagers. 16-year-olds, even those who are destined to become neurosurgeons and, and, and wealthy entrepreneurs, when you're 16, you don't have any job experience, you don't have much in the way of skill, you're not very productive. So you enter the labor force at the minimum wage. The typical minimum wage worker is a very young person, not a head of household, living with 
living with parents or living with, 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 with other young people, they don't have kids at home to care for. Of course, you can find in countries as big as the US and as Canada, you can find exceptions to this rule. There are some minimum wage workers who are indeed heads of households. The typical minimum wage worker is not a head of a household. I have, I have one child, he's now 24, but when he was 16 and 17, he never had any problems finding a job. He was raised in the leafy, wealthy suburbs of Fairfax County, Virginia. He worked first at the minimum wage. And so he wasn't the head of household. The, the, he, he, he earned a minimum wage and that he, he brought that. He didn't need, he spent it at GameStop and, 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 and the stuff that, you know, typical 17 and 16 year olds spend their money on. He, he wasn't caring for a, for a family. And, uh, and, and, but precisely because some minimum wage workers are heads of households, uh, you want to be really careful before you raise the minimum wage or impose the minimum wage, because you might, those might be the very people you put out of, out of work. And when you put someone who's the head of a household out of work and their income falls from however the low, however low a level it is down to zero, you make that person even worse off. Again, the, 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 the point gets back to this complexity of, of, of society idea. Uh, uh, wages and prices are not arbitrary. You can't just, government can't just de declare that they be raised, declare that they be lowered uh, without having uh, unintended consequences behind the scenes that most people ignore when they, when they advocate raising the minimum wage. You raise the minimum wage, you are going to cause some workers' wages to rise. You're going to cause other workers to suffer reduced job opportunities, worse job prospects, and importantly, uh, lost opportunities to get job experience. For many minimum wage workers, the, 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 at least a major benefit, for some I would think the major benefit, uh, is not the current income. It's the, the, the getting your foot on the first step of the job ladder. You get some job experience. You get the opportunity to have an employer write a letter, a letter of recommendation for you when you move to your next job. Again, when my son was first employed, and I don't think he's un untypical of suburban American teenagers. My first son was first employed as a teenager. The income wasn't that important. He was, he was going to eat and be able to lead his life normally without the without the income, but he got job experience. He learned to work with people. He was able to get a, a recommendation from his employers to for, for later employers. And, and in one case, I think he also used one of his employers as a recommendation for, mm -hmm. for, for college. Uh, and so when you deny people a job because of the minimum wage, you deny them in many cases, not just the current income, you deny them this very important experience of, uh, of, of on the job experience that they, they can't get if they're not employed. You've put a lot of important issues on the table because I, I want to talk a bit about one other aspect of the, the head of the household argument, because there's a lot of, of newcomers, whether it's to our country, Canada, or new, or new Americans. And I think there's a sense that if you didn't have a minimum wage, that employers would exploit that particular worker because they might be coming from a country that has much, much lower wages, and therefore you can get away with charging them less than, than what you might otherwise have to pay. And can, can you just deal with that aspect of it? Yeah, first of all, there's no evidence of, hmm. of, 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 of this. Prior to the enactment in the United States of a minimum wage, which was first enacted in 1938, so we have a lot of data going back before uh, 83 years ago, uh, the vast majority of wages were much higher than the first initiated minimum wage. 
the vast majority of in, in the United States, and again, I think it's probably similar in Canada. In the United States, roughly about 4% of workers make the minimum wage. So 96% of American workers make wages above the minimum wage. If this story were true, you'd have a difficult time explaining, well, why do so many workers make, make wages above the minimum? Why, why, aren't, why aren't all workers paid at or near the minimum wage? The, the typical progression for a worker is to get a job at entry level. Uh, many of them are at the minimum wage. After a few months, sometimes maybe a year, they go on, they either get a raise at the current job or they move on to a job paying a higher wage. Labor markets are pretty competitive. Uh, so it, it is true that when, when uh, uh, immigrants come to a country, uh, if they are low-skilled immigrants, they compete with native low-skilled workers in that country. For a time, that might push down wages in that in that for those workers, but even there, uh, a minimum wage would only cause unemployment. If, if you have a minimum wage in place, uh, you would prevent, in this case, probably the immigrants from getting employment. Now, some people might say, well, that will, that'll make sure that they don't come. They, 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 they stay in their native countries uh, and that would be an impact of the minimum wage. But, but, but this raises another point. Um, uh, and we, and, and so, I've studied the history of the minimum wage, not only in the United States, but in Great Britain. And if you look at the history of the minimum wage, what you find, so going back 100 years, what you find is that those people who initially supported a minimum wage, who initially wanted a minimum wage, they were not, contrary to what you might suppose, great friends of low-skilled workers and immigrants and, and, and poor and oppressed people. Uh, they were people who wanted a minimum wage precisely to render unemployable the undesirables. The progressives of the early 20th century, both in, in the United States and in Britain, I suspect also in Canada, although I can't say for sure, the progressives in the U.S. and Britain uh, were very worried about undesirable workers, workers of you know, bad racial stock competing against you know, white workers. And so how do we stop this? Well, we, we, we impose a minimum wage because they understood quite correctly that if you impose a minimum wage, even with a little bit of prejudice and bigotry in society, employers now having to pay the minimum wage, so they have three job openings at the minimum wage, but 10 people applying for those jobs, they're going to choose the, 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 you know, the, the white Protestant straight workers and leave unemployed the, the, the darker skin, uh, more swarthy workers. Uh, that was the purpose of the minimum wage. If you, you, if you read, if you read uh, 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 the, these progressives, uh, they were very open about this. Uh, there was a, a great book I, I'll recommend to your, your listeners, published by the Princeton University economist Thomas Leonard in 2016, called Illiberal Reformers. And in that book, he has a chapter, maybe even more than one, but he certainly has one chapter in that book on the history of the minimum wage. And it's, 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 it's pretty awful stuff. Um, today, I believe that most people who support the minimum wage are not so, so uh, uh, ill-motivated as were the initial proponents of the minimum wage. They, they, I think today's proponents really believe that it's going to help, but their economics is, is I think, uh, misguided. I think that the that, that that in fact the minimum wage is going to it, it imposes a disproportionate. So it, it not only does it cause unemployment among some low skilled workers, 
The impact is not random. The unemployment impact falls most heavily precisely on the workers who are most disadvantaged. The workers against whom there might be some bigotry, the workers who uh, uh, got the, 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 the worst kind of schooling, the workers who are most likely to, to, have, to come from broken homes and not have uh, their own means of their own private means of transportation. They have to rely on public transportation. These are the workers who are most hurt, not kids like my son who grew up in, in wealthy Fairfax County. It's, 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 it's inner city minority uh, 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 teenagers who are most hurt by the minimum wage. I want to talk to you about why it is that this sort of wishful thinking prevails, even in the face of evidence. And I wonder if it goes back to that seminal work that you've written about in 1994, is that if you believed that if you increase minimum wage, you'd result in job loss, obviously there'd be a more a morality uh, considerations associated with that. But if you believe that you can increase minimum wage and it just makes everyone better off and no one loses their job, then it sounds like it's the perfect solution. Now, it sounds like this, yeah. this work in 1994 gave, gave some... Uh, some some fuel to the fire for those who want to continue pushing for increasing minimum wages. So, so tell us what it, what it did discover. I mean, did it did it did it discover and put the argument to rest forever and all time that you can raise wages and it doesn't have any impact on employment? No. So here's the here's the background to that. Um, uh, so since the minimum wage was first introduced in the U.S. in 1938. Um, uh, it has been massively studied, empirically studied. And there's, again, there's this very simple prediction that if you, if you raise the cost of doing something, you get less of that something. So if you raise the cost of employing low-skill workers, you're going to get less employment of low-skill workers, meaning some low-skill workers are going to lose their jobs. Economists, economists studied this empirically. Economists left, right, and center until the mid-1990s generally believed there were exceptions, but they, they generally agreed that raising the minimum wage has a negative impact on employment. Now, they also agree, okay, but some workers do get higher wages. And so some economists would say things like, yes, I understand that raising the minimum wage uh, causes some unemployment, but it also causes the wages of other workers to rise. And in my estimation, the higher wages are worth the, the unemployment. That's a value judgment. As an economist, I can't say that's correct or incorrect. I don't share it, but but someone can say that. But there was largely a consensus until about 25 years ago that the minimum wage did have a negative employment effect. Then, then starting uh, with the publication in, in 1994 of a very famous paper in the American Economic Review, which is the most prestigious of all economics journals, by the late Alan Kruger and David Card. David Card, just earlier this month, was announced as one of the co-winners of the 2021 Nobel Prize in Economics. Uh, this paper by Card and Kruger claimed to find that a minimum wage hike in New Jersey had no negative impact on employment in New Jersey. And, the, and, and, and so what, what, what Card and Kruger did in that study, so New Jersey and, and Pennsylvania share a border with each other. And, the, and, and what separates Pennsylvania and New Jersey is the Delaware River. And, and so it's pretty much the same economy, except you got this ar arbitrary state line that's, that, that travels along the river. And so Card and Kruger looked at employment in fast food restaurants in New Jersey and employment in fast food restaurants in Pennsylvania. And then they controlled for a variety of things. And they saw that, well, they, they, they discovered that when New Jersey when the, when, the un, when the minimum wage in New Jersey rose and it did not rise in Pennsylvania, and then the, when after the New Jersey minimum wage rose, 
they didn't find a negative employment impact in New Jersey. And they said, aha, so here's strong evidence that the economist's prediction of a rise in the minimum wage doesn't cause negative employment. Now, there are a lot of problems that people have pointed out with this Card-Kruger study. One of the problems, I think the biggest problem with the study, is that the, the, the uh, uh, New it, was well, it was known well in advance in New, Jer in New Jersey that the minimum wage was going to rise. And so employers had already had time to adjust to the expected rise in the minimum wage. So there's no reason to think that on the day or in the week after, a month after the minimum wage rose, that's when we'd find the effect. As soon as employers in New Jersey learned that the minimum wage was going to rise, they started to adjust. So, but, but Carding Kruger in their 1994 study didn't adequately, I believe, account for this, hmm. this impact. Another, another problem with the study is uh, first of all, they looked only at fast food restaurants. Now, fast food restaurants are a major employer of low-skilled workers, but they're not the only employer. And, and they did telephone interviews. They would call the fast food restaurants and they say, you know, what, what are you going to do when the minimum wage rises? And they would write down the, the, the answers. And um, a lot of people criticized this study for, for being weak. Nevertheless, Cart, David Card and, and Alan Kruger are, are very competent, uh, uh, and one is now a Nobel Prize winner, econometricians far more competent than I am so and they later wrote a book trying to address some of these weaknesses on this matter and so since Card and Kruger published their paper in 1994 the consensus among economists that a rising minimum wage has a negative impact on employment has indeed been destroyed that does not mean however that economists have now gone all on board with Card and Kruger it's still the case that a number of studies come out every year finding the predicted negative employment impacts. Um, uh, I, I can name you know, economists named David Newmark, William Washer, Jeffrey Clemens, Jeffrey, I think his name is Jeffrey Meek. He's a guy who works at Texas A&M. There are a number of economists who continue to find that uh, when the minimum wage goes up, the employment impact is indeed as standard economics predicts. My sense is that while it's, it's no longer strong enough to call it a consensus, it's still a majority of economists who agree that raising the minimum wage, all other things equal, leads to a decline in employment. Now, now, now it, there still are some workers who, who benefit from a higher minimum wage. And so to, to say that the minimum wage causes some unemployment among low-skill workers is not that that itself doesn't mean that the minimum wage is a bad idea. You need you, you need you can bring your value judgment to it and you say, oh, but I think that the the higher wages more than offset this negative this negative impact. Uh, 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 but obviously, if economists, if it were the case that there was no evidence that the minimum wage caused any unemployment then the case for the minimum wage is much easier. Easier. There's no trade-off, at least not among workers. You're just saying, okay, well, employers have to pay more, but who cares about employers? They're, they're rich, fat cats anyway. Uh, uh, the, the minimum wage rises and nothing happens except workers get higher wages. Isn't that great? Uh, if that were the case, then the case for the minimum wage, I think, would be easier to you know, make. It, it strikes me that it's almost like a Laffer curve argument, that there's some optimal level 
that if you increase wages, it doesn't have that effect. But once you go past that certain optimal point, then you must have some employment effects. And I don't know if there's a very easy way to do that math to find out what the optimal wage would be in any particular environment. Or does that go back to our earlier conversation? There's just too many factors to consider to try to set it. Yeah, I thought you were going somewhere else with that. So I, I actually disagree that it's a it's a it's a laugh occur. I see what you mean when when, when you say that. I, it, my view is that it is the the optimal wage is whatever wage would emerge on the market. Um, uh, it, it it it's true, of course. There is a way a, a, you can set the minimum wage at such a level where you get, you know, some some increase in the income of low-skill workers that, that maybe more than offsets the decline in income caused by some workers being unemployed as a result of the minimum, of the minimum wage. But, but just as an ethical matter, I think it's questionable for government to engage in policy that, that forcibly causes the unemployment of some workers in order to raise the employment of, of in order, excuse me, in order to increase the, the, the incomes of of other workers, um, uh, you know, I mean, to, to to pick a, a ridiculous example. So I'm a I'm a white straight male economist in 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 North America in in, in the United States. I, I can imagine Congress passing a law saying, uh, you know, you have to pay uh, 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 no no one who is not a white straight male can teach economics in the United States. Well, that would get rid of a lot of women. That would get rid of a lot of gays. That would get rid of a lot of a lot of uh, people who, who are not like me, that would raise my wage because the number of economists allowed to sell their services in the U.S. would decline and have to find something else to do. My wage would rise, but I think that would be highly unethical. Um, and I think it would be kind of morally, beyond morally questionable to say, well, you know, but Don's, Don's annual income rose by a certain amount and that has to, you know, let, let, maybe if it rises by enough, that's enough to offset the, the damage done to these people who lose their jobs. I think not. I don't think the government has any business uh, trying to raise my wage uh, 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 if the means of doing so is to affect negatively the welfare of other people. Well, let me ask you then if maybe the it, the the data is too hard to get to quantify this, because I, I take your, your point that having and an unemployment loss is only one measure because yes. employers have lots of ways that they can adjust the, the total compensation package the, for their worker. And what does the evidence show there? Because I've always been of the view that what happens is that workers will uh, end up with fewer shifts. So they end up perhaps with lower hours, even though it's a higher wage, so they might not end up with more take-home pay. Or there's also other types of compensation packages associated with how employers compensate their workers. Is, is there any good work that helps us to maybe dig down a little deeper? Mm -hmm. And it may well be that you don't end up seeing direct job losses, but there must be other effects that we can measure. Yes, yeah. So the vast majority of the empirical studies on the minimum wage look only at either the number of jobs that are affected or the number of hours that are worked. There are a hand, there are some, not, not enough in my view, but some studies that, that look at the impact of hikes in the minimum wage on fringe benefits. So I forget the name, I forget, there were a few of these, I forget the names of the authors, but a number of years ago, there were a few studies showing that when minimum wages rise, um, uh, min, uh, employers of low skill workers reduce things like uh, employee discounts at retail stores, the number of restaurants who allow employees to have free meals 
declines. Uh, so this is a way for employers to adjust to higher minimum wages without reducing employment, but at the same time, it has a negative impact on workers. Um, some of these things are easy to measure, such as, uh, uh, you know, do, do, are there, are, are, does a retailer give employee discounts to to, floor, to to clerks in the store? Yes or no? And, and what's, the, what's the size of the discount? But most, in most job conditions, I think, are simply, this gets back to the complexity of the real world point, most job conditions are simply too uh, invisible to empirically measure. Uh, how strict is your boss in allowing you to show up at work a few minutes late or leave a few minutes early, allowing you to do personal telephone calls while on the job, personal texting, personal emailing? Uh, 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 supervisors have an enormous range uh, uh, to, to adjust in these, in these dimensions. So if the employer has to pay a higher wage uh, and you're still employed at this higher wage, the employer naturally is going to expect, or understandably, is going to want to get more out of you. And so you're, you've, you've discovered that your boss is not quite as lenient as he or she used to be in allowing you to show up late and allowing you to leave early and allowing you to call home to, to check to see how, how your, your siblings are doing, allowing you to take a, a, a day off. And these things are very difficult to measure, but there's no reason to think that employers will not adjust along these lines. Um, I think there's every reason to think that, that they will adjust along these lines, but they're very difficult to pick up. And, 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 and this is one reason why I think there, there is this raging debate among economists about the actual empirical consequences of the minimum wage, precisely because employers uh, can adjust to higher minimum wages in ways other than reducing the number of workers they hire or reducing the number of hours that they hire workers for. They can adjust in these other very difficult to detect ways, but ways that to the extent that they can adjust, it reduces the incentive to lay workers off. Because, it's, because these things are very difficult to, to measure, um, uh, uh, the, the empirical studies fail to pick up some of the negative consequences of a minimum wage. Now, some people might say, well, okay, so your boss is more strict and you, you, know, you, 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 you can't, you can't uh, show up for work late like you once did, but you're getting paid a higher wage and so you're better off. Well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, maybe you, you valued the flexibility that you once had in, in showing up late and leaving early. And, and you would prefer to still have that flexibility rather than have the, the higher minimum wage. I'm sure some workers feel that they're made better off by that, but I'm sure other workers would prefer to have the greater flexibility. And so the, these, it, it's really important to, 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 to point out these, these many different ways that employers and employees can adjust to higher minimum wages other than the standard textbook prediction of, of reduced employment. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think, while again, some work has been done empirically on, on this fact, too little has been done. Uh, and, 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 and yet it's a negative impact on workers. Do you, know, do you know what also strikes me about that 
seminal work being in 1994, I'm taking a trip down memory lane back to 1994. And I did work at the Fraser Institute in 1996 as an intern. And this new thing called the internet was just developing. Yeah. And they had a single computer in the library that if you wanted to go use the internet, you had to go use dial up to get there. And I, I wonder if that's maybe part of the thinking as well, is that there's just certain jobs that can't be replaced by technology, that you need to have a human being in those positions. And I wonder if that whole paradigm has been blown up now because we are using technology in a way that was never imagined back in 1994. Is there, can you talk about that technology displacement aspect? Of, is there a way to measure that? Uh, yeah, people look at that. And, 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 and one of the points that, that those of us who argue against the minimum wage point out is that um, minimum wages uh, again, they, they basically affect low-skilled workers. They, they, in, in, in the U.S., anywhere between 3 to 5% of the workforce at any time is paid, paid the minimum wage. The vast majority of workers are paid more than that because the vast majority of workers have skills that make them um, uh, uh, so productive that they are worth to their employers more than the minimum wage, and so their wages get bid up to reflect their higher productivity. So minimum wages affect mostly just low-skilled they, they yeah, in fact, mostly just low-skilled workers. There aren't many advantages in being a low-skilled worker, but there is one advantage in being a low-skilled worker, and that is you're not highly specialized. You can work flipping burgers at McDonald's. Uh, you can work selling donuts at Tim Hortons. You can work for a for a, a, a lawn care company. You can work selling, you know, work work on the floor at, at Walmart, stocking shelves. You you you, you uh, unlike say a neurosurgeon, right? If you're a neurosurgeon, you skilled at neurosurgery, your next best option is something a lot worse than, than, than performing neurosurgical, neurosurgical surgeries. Um, and, and, and so, uh, uh, and these are, but, but these are also jobs that are very easy in many cases to mechanize. And uh, 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 so, and, and also in many surprising ways, um, I haven't seen a study done on this, but, but I would like to see one done on this. I have a hypothesis. As the minimum wage rises, the average size of lawnmowers gets, gets larger. Um, uh, I've, I've noticed this. So back in the 90s, I would see people doing lawn care services, and they were, they were pushing uh, or driving uh, lawnmowers, the blade, the, the, the blade radius of which was relatively small compared to the size of blade radiuses now. And so if you build a bigger lawnmower, one worker can cut more grass mm -hmm. than before. And so a lot of lawn care workers are probably all, mostly all minimum wage workers. Minimum wage goes up. You don't want to hire as many of them. So you, you, can, you can do that. You can reduce the number of workers you have to hire by getting equipment that does more work. Um, President Obama famously said back during the 2012 presidential campaign here in the U.S., uh, he, was, he was complaining that uh, ATM machines put put uh, bank tellers out of out of work, uh, and and uh, while I think his complaint was was unjustified, he was on to something economic that that machines often substitute for workers, and so as as wage 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 rates rise, whether naturally or because they're pushed up by minimum wages, employers have an incentive to to find ways to economize on, 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 on input costs. And so they, if they can find a machine that does the, the work that the laborer does at, at a lower cost, they can substitute out of that, those workers into the machines. And so 
unskilled workers, while they have lots of options, they also perform jobs that are, in most cases, very easily mechanized. You can't easily mechanize uh, the, 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 the work of a neurosurgeon or of a, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a creative design artist. It's very hard to mechanize. You can easily mechanize, mechanize the work of a hotel maid of, or a motel maid. Um, uh, and, and ultimately, there's no job that has to be done. At, at some price, it's too high. The job's not going to be done. Uh, so I, I noticed, I don't, I, I don't know how much impact it has of the minimum wage, but even before COVID, uh, you go to hotels and you get the option. Well, um, uh, you know, if you don't want your room clean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll knock $5 off the, off the room rate and, and you only get your room cleaned every other day or every three days. Uh, and so this is a way of conserving on having to hire maids. Mm -hmm. And so if the, if the minimum wage gets higher, you get your, you get your, 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 your motel or hotel room clean less frequently. Um, so the, 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 the number of, of, of ways to get output produced uh, is not limited to the particular ways that those outputs are being produced today. The ways outputs are produced today are determined in large part by the prices of the inputs used to produce those outputs. You change those prices, including the wages, you thereby change, you therefore change the optimal pattern that employers will use of workers versus machines to perform those, those, those tasks. What you've just said makes me think that we don't look uh, in a long-term enough way at these trade-offs and these, and these decisions, because I don't think anybody could have envisioned. I mean, you mentioned, I was just at a hotel, in fact, and they said, sorry, we only clean rooms every yeah. three days. Call us if you want to have made come more frequently than that. Yeah. But then you look at as well, the fact that you can buy anything that you want online. You can uh, go to a, a store and you can choose the self-checkout aisles. Yep. And those yep. things take a while to develop and those things take a while to implement. But yep. clearly, a lot of those decisions must have made been made by an early trade-off that a, a, someone who is investing in capital and technology and machinery would have had to do that balance of how much do I want to pay on workers? And as worker prices go up, maybe I can save more money by investing in technology. But that is another way that it's sort of hard to quantify that a yes. minimum wage decision today, you might not see the effect for five years. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this is this is a very important point. Um, uh, uh, the the in, in basic textbook economics, Econ 101, uh, you just draw supply and demand curves, the minimum wage goes up, oh, look, it causes unemployment. Um, no serious economist thinks things happen instantaneously. There may be a handful of workers who lose their job immediately, but but there are two time dimensions. As we mentioned when we were discussing the New Jersey and Pennsylvania experiment that Cardin Kruger looked at with their not famous 1994 paper, uh, one time dimension is 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 looking back. So uh, uh, employers today understand that they they are operating in a world in which there is a minimum wage and in which the minimum wage will likely be raised at some point, and so they make their employment decisions and their business uh, decisions, how they produce, how they conduct their affairs, they make this with the minimum wage in mind, understanding that, that they probably had better economize more than otherwise on labor, because if they don't, they'll, they'll be stuck in the future with having to adjust to a higher minimum wage. And so 
And so they, 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 they use, they, they choose production methods that use less labor today and more machines today. And then going forward, when the minimum wage does rise, um, uh, even if it does cause some workers to no longer be, be profitable, it takes time for employers to adjust to that. They don't do it overnight in most cases. They have to find, they have to find okay, what are, what are the best machines to substitute for that? What kinds of tasks can we uh, actually not perform or that we can perform uh, less frequently than we have been doing uh, in order to maintain our competitiveness? This is a point that, that, that I want to uh, uh, make. The vast majority of workers who work for the minimum wage, who get paid the minimum wage, work in highly competitive industries. They're working in, in retail, they're working in food service, um, uh, 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 things like you know, lawn, lawn care and, 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 and leisure and entertainment. These industries, entry is very easy into these industries. People start restaurants all the time. And so if there's, uh, uh, you know, if, 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 if uh, these restaurants over here are making inordinate profits, those profits attract other people into that industry. Restaurants open and close all the time. Retailers open and close all the time. These are not employers that have huge profit margins out of which uh, higher minimum wages can be, can be paid. I, again, I think a lot of supporters of the minimum wage don't reflect carefully enough on this fact. I think they think that, oh, the employer is rich, uh, and therefore, if we raise the minimum wage, the only impact will be the employer will have to go, darn, all right, I got to pay the higher minimum wage. All right, you minimum wage worker, you, you low skill workers, you're going to get paid this higher minimum wage. End of story. That's not how the world works. Uh, you have me a little bit worried about the young people coming up looking for that first job. I, I want to tell you, I'm involved in a, an investor uh, organization that is looking at high tech investments. And I was really struck by one comment as we were going through and doing the analysis of one company. And it was an AI company that employed machine learning. And the analyst said, well, that is going to destroy a lot of boring, repetitive jobs and create a lot of value for the company. So it's a very good investment. But that seems to be what we're doing is that we are destroying a lot of those, what you might uh, look at as being boring, repetitive jobs, but somebody needs to have that first entry into the yes. workforce. Yeah. And so what does that mean for future generations? If we're going to have fewer retail jobs and fewer frontline fast food jobs and fewer lawn mowing and snow clearing jobs, where yes. are those young people going to get that first experience? Well, if the minimum, if, if the loss of those jobs is caused by the minimum wage or by hikes in the minimum wage, then it's not clear where they'll get that experience. They will remain unemployed longer than otherwise. They will remain inexperienced longer than otherwise. For longer than otherwise, they will remain without the opportunity to get a recommendation uh, from, uh, from an employer. Uh, now, some people actually think this is a good thing. It's kind of it's alluded to in, in the remark you just made by, by, by some of the people you were speaking to. Say, oh, well, the minimum wage, it destroys these, these repetitive jobs. It's true. Look, no one wants to work his or her life uh, lifelong at a minimum wage job. These are not jobs that people aspire to. I'm going to grow up and I'm going to flip burgers at McDonald's for the rest of my life. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to clean motel rooms for the rest of my life. No one's saying these are desirable jobs, but there's a reason people hold these jobs. They hold them because they are their best opportunity. The, the, the combination of the income and the job experience makes these jobs worthwhile for those people that hold them. And it's highly arrogant for some third party to say, oh, those jobs 
are not really important. Let's destroy those jobs. Well, when you destroy those jobs, you destroy opportunity and income for the people who hold those jobs. And what are they going to do? As you just point out, Danielle, it's not clear what they're going to do. Now, that's not clear. And so you, 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 you're hurting these people, most of whom, most of whom wind up pretty soon doing something else. Uh, uh, or, or, or getting way, uh, raises because they become much better at, at doing these jobs. People do not want to, people do not aspire to minimum wage uh, work. It's, it, it is, as to repeat, it is in almost all cases an entry-level job uh, or, or a job for, some, for, for someone who has such poor skills, maybe through no fault of his or her own, that they can't I, do anything else. I have to, uh, we have to take a trip to Tyrannia now and talk about the yeah. monstrous monarchs because it's probably a good time to talk about it because talking about these things can sound very, very cruel about yeah. the job destruction. And I like the way you framed that because if anyone came along and said, we're going to try to cause as much starvation as we can. We're going to increase the price of bread so fewer people would be able to buy bread and feed themselves. That would be monstrous. And yet you've drawn that as an analogy to what happens when you raise minimum wage. And I'd like you to just explain that argument because it's, it's quite, it, 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 I think it shifts our thinking about a person being in the market for and trying to sell their labor and trying to get that toehold. So, so explain the connection there. So you're referring to a little fictional tale I told in order to I loved it. <laughs> make, thank you, in order to make the case against the minimum wage. So you can imagine, um, I think I called it a tyrannica or something like that. So you can imagine a, 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 well, in my tale, I said, you know, you have this, this imaginary, uh, 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 fictional place run by cruel rulers, you know, some cruel king and cruel queen, and and their 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 whole purpose in life is to make life miserable for their subjects. And uh, so one of the things they do is say, okay, we're going to raise the price of bread uh, because we don't like people getting bread. Well, everybody would recognize that as as cruel, precisely because it reduces the ability of people to buy to buy bread. But you could imagine an alternative. I don't have this in the, in the tale, but you can imagine an alternative tale where someone says, oh, these are nice people. They're raising the price of bread. They're going to push the price of bread higher because they want to help bakers and they want to help people who work in bakeries. Isn't that a good thing to do? Let's raise the price of bread. And that means that we'll have bakers will get higher incomes and, and people who work in bakers will get higher incomes. What a wonderful thing. But of course, that would miss the impact that, well, if you raise the price of bread, fewer people will be able to afford bread and more people will go hungry. Well, you could tell the same story about, about wages, the story that people tell when they support raising the minimum wage is they, they, look, at, they, they look at only one impact of it. Oh, we've, let's raise the minimum wage, and that means that low-skill workers will get paid higher wages. But, but uh, uh, the, the employers of low-skill workers are very much like the buyers of bread. They don't employ low-skill workers as an end in itself, just as you don't, uh, uh, you don't sell bread as an end in itself. The employers of low-skill workers employ them in order to help their firms make a profit. Mm -hmm. And if that wage goes too high, then those workers are no longer profitably employed. And so those workers will lose their jobs or the jobs will become more difficult and different or the, the number of, of hours in those jobs will, will, will fall. And so I can imagine, you know, in, in this same, you know, tyrant, fictional tyrannia, 
you know, the, 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 the evil leaders say, hey, 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 let's, 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 uh, let's hurt, let's hurt our lowest skill workers by forcing their employers to pay them more because we know they get their economics right. We know that if we force the employers to pay them more, employers will hire fewer of them and many of them will be rendered unemployed. <laughs> right. Uh, I think that's what happens, actually. I think, that, well, I know that's what happens. When you raise the minimum wage, you, you inflict harm on many low-skilled workers who either lose jobs or whose jobs are made uh, less, much less pleasant or more unpleasant by the rise in the, in the minimum wage. But most people are blind to that, to that consequence. And, 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 and we, sh we shouldn't be. This is, this is a problem with most economic policy. People look at, at the surface. They, they, as, as the great economist Deirdre McCloskey points out, people stay only for the first act. They see the first act of the play and say, ah, oh, the first act looks great. And then they leave the theater. And they don't stay for the acts two and three. But you, you don't know what the play is about unless you stay for acts two and three. Only then can you draw a conclusion about what the play, about what the play is about. And with the minimum wage, the, yes, the first act is that the wage gets, gets, gets hiked by government. Isn't that wonderful? The intentions are good. Well, stay for a longer time and watch what happens. Some workers lose their jobs. Other workers have their jobs made, made worse. Yes, some workers do get paid higher wages, but other workers are made worse off. And, and you can't deny that. Now, if you want to say, uh, if you want to say, excuse me, if you want to say uh, the workers who lose their jobs, uh, their losses are more than made up for by the workers who get higher pay, that's fine. But at least that's an honest discussion. Because the way the minimum wage discussion takes place today is people actually deny, most people, most politicians, most pundits in newspapers, deny that there's any negative effect except on employers. Oh, the only effect is that employers, evil employers, have to pay higher wages. And they should pay higher wages because they're employers. Uh, no negative effect on employees whatsoever. And economics, economics says pretty clearly that except in the most unusual of circumstances, when you raise the minimum wage, uh, you're going to get negative impacts not just on employers. You're going to get negative impacts on some of the very workers who you intend to help. And so you better recognize that trade-off. Now, if you recognize it and you're still willing to make it, that's fine for you. But, but, but at least recognize the trade-off. You, you don't get it on the cheap. You don't get to think, oh, when the minimum wage goes up, all workers benefit. End of story. That's not the way the world works. Well, let but, me then embrace that argument and say yeah. that perhaps if you were being a benevolent central planner who knew all, and you were worried that you were going to have shortages of labor because you've got lower birth rates and we're not seeing as many young workers come in, then you would perhaps want to stimulate employers to make those technology and capital investments so that they can continue to do the work with fewer employees so that you could increase wages. Is there any chance that, uh, that the central planners have figured this out, that uh, they actually want to stimulate investment in productivity improving investments so that everybody can can benefit or is that just a one of the consequences that we're now seeing in hindsight in that case the central planners would be redundant mm -hmm. uh because th it would happen automatically if there is a reduction in the size of the labor force because of of demographic changes for example then wage rates will be higher than they would otherwise be if the supply of low-skilled workers falls for whatever reason then the wages for low-skill workers on the market will be higher than they would otherwise 
be. And, and those higher wages would stimulate the appropriate, appropriate changes. Um, you know, it's, 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 uh, a lot of my students tell me the following when I teach the minimum wage to them. They say, uh, oh, well, w w you, you say, Professor Boudreaux, that when the minimum wage goes up, that prompts in many employers to, 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 to substitute uh, technology for workers. Isn't that good? We're having more technology. And my answer is, uh, uh, more technology is good only if it's cost justified to make it, to make it good. Um, uh, uh, there's an, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. I'm allergic to the minimum wage. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, uh, if, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 we could right now, uh, uh, impose technology that, uh, uh, we're all, I guess, you know, we're all driving immediately, uh, electric powered cars and, uh, but it's not cost effective now, given, given all the constraints. And so new technology seems sexy, and I'm, I'm glad it's available uh, to, help, to help reduce the negative impacts of higher minimum wages. But we have to understand that's what it is. It, 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 it is a, it's a consequence of higher minimum wages, uh, and it's not necessarily good in the overall scheme of things if it's brought about at the expense of causing some workers to lose jobs who otherwise wouldn't lose their jobs. But, in, but again, in, in the example you just, you just raised, if the supply of labor falls because of demographic changes or just naturally, that will cause the, 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 the market wage rate to rise without any need for government officials to force it up. And that itself will then prompt employers to, to search for and put into place the optimal amount of new technology uh, in response to those those higher wages. So let's talk then about why it is such a compelling argument. And maybe it's because when I look at what the federal minimum wage is, $7.25 compared to what US it is law. in my home provincial jurisdiction, which is $15, even I have a visceral reaction saying, oh my gosh, how can anybody live on $7 and 25 cents an hour? And so that I think is, is part of it is that the reaction on minimum wage is an emotional one, if not a logical one. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, to get at the heart of why it is so compelling. I think we all want, we all, we all, all want people to have enough money yeah. to enjoy the standard of living that we have. And I think as we start moving up the wealth scale and as we start moving up the income scale and you're looking at others, who are just starting out, it feels like, oh, I gotta do something to help. And that, I think that's visceral, but I, I wonder how you address that without putting in policy that is counterproductive. Well, the first thing I would say is, is going back to what we said earlier in our discussion, right? The, 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 the argument is not uh, employer versus employee, it's employee versus employee. Um, the, 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 the proponents of the minimum wage mistake those of us who oppose the minimum wage as, as being pro-employer and hence anti-worker. And that's not the argument at all. The argument that, that, that I and other, and there are many economists who argue along with me on this, who mar the argument we make against the minimum wage is that it helps some workers, but only at the expense of other workers, workers who lose employment opportunities, worker who, who, workers who are made unemployed and hence lose current income. And as I said earlier, However difficult it is to live on seven twenty-five an hour, it's much more difficult to live on zero an hour. Uh, but but that's the alternative that the minimum wage gives to 
to some workers. Uh, and, 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 and it's important to emphasize, it's not just the loss of the current income, it's the loss of the job experience that, that's so very important for young workers when they're first entering the, the, the job market. Uh, you know, one of, one of the cartoons you'll typically see when the, the minimum wage is the topic, you'll see a, a ladder with the lower rungs of the, the ladder cut off uh, to depict, that's what to depict the effect of the minimum wage. It knocks the bottom rungs of the ladders off. And so the, the person standing at the bottom has to leap up hmm. to, the, to a much higher rung. Uh, and as, of course, that's, that's, that's much more difficult to do than climbing up. The rungs. Yes, you put your you put your foot first on the lowest rung of the ladder. My first job as an American in the United States, I was 17 years old, like most 17 years old years old kids. I had zero skills. My first job as a 17 year old was at the minimum wage. It was at 210 an hour back in 1975. Uh, uh, I, I paid much more than the minimum wage now. Indeed, my third my second job was also at the minimum wage. My third job was at a job much higher than the minimum well higher than the minimum wage, and which is typical. Uh, but had I not had those first two jobs at a minimum wage, I'm not sure I'd have gotten my third job at a wage higher than that. I would have had no job experience. And so um, uh, uh, the the saying you can't live off some wage is 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 is, is my true. Uh, but again, I'll also remind the listeners uh, that uh, uh, at least in the U.S., the vast majority of minimum wage workers are are very young people who live with their families. Uh, they're not heads of households. They're not trying to live off of the, the, the minimum wage income is not designed, excuse me, excuse me is not used uh, by the earners of those incomes as, as, as support for the family. It's, it's in, in, in so many cases, it's teenagers who get extra spending money. Uh, it, and, it's, yeah. it's such a good point. Now I should probably share. I used, I pushed around a, a cart at the bingo parlor selling pop and chips. That was my first minimum wage job. And then I did McDonald's time to lean. There's time to clean, which stayed with me for life. So I'm very glad <laughs> I had those first two jobs, but you know, maybe this is the problem is that the minimum wage is a, a blunt instrument to address the yeah. wrong problem. If we are trying to make so sure that somebody has enough income to support their family, maybe there's a, a combination of approaches that could take. And I want to run a couple of things by you because I have in the past, when I've done business advocacy, argued that there should be a separate minimum wage that is lower for someone who has no skills and are entering the workforce just as you, so that you can give them a, an opportunity to enter knowing that they're going to be less productive than a, an employee that has been there for a couple of, of years. And that often, there's also a visceral, visceral reaction to that too, from those who would argue against it saying, oh, well, now you're just going to be exploiting young workers. And I, I wonder if there's something of merit to what I'm arguing, that if you're going to set a, a minimum wage, maybe it needs to be tiered to acknowledge the fact that you're trying to, to give that toehold in the workforce. Is there, has, has there been any, any research on that? Oh yeah, well, a tiered minimum wage is is of course better than a non-tiered minimum wage. I, I still uh, I think it's not as good as having no minimum wage. Um, but if you're going to have a minimum wage, then and in some countries, I think Britain, I, I think Britain has a tiered minimum wage. Um, uh, some states and locales, I believe, in the U.S. have a tiered minimum wage. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly they're better because, you know, well, okay, you have, you have 17 year olds who are not as skilled as 30 year olds. And so they get to work at a lower wage than whatever is the minimum wage set for people who are 
who are older. But again, I, I think the appropriate wage is whatever wage someone can can bargain for in 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 the market. Mm. And uh, uh, it, 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 any any government set minimum wage, if it's going to have any impact at all, uh, will will, in my view, almost certainly cause some workers who would prefer to be employed at a lower wage to be unemployed at that wage. And I think that is both an ethical injustice and I think it's an economic uh, 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 calamity for, for those workers. So let me then pose another way of approaching it. If you were to let the market set the wage, but you still ended up with a certain percentage of those minimum wage earners who were below a living wage, weren't able to support their household, is that where you would make an argument that you need some kind of transfer to top them up? Maybe there's a targeted program that you can put in place that would assist that individual who is the principal breadwinner to, to bridge that gap. Is there, is there something, is there some kind of policy that you could propose or that you've seen around that kind of concept? Sure. I mean, it's, 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 it's a different discussion, but if we, mm -hmm. if, if the concern we're have, if the concern we have, which is the concern we have when the discussion topic is minimum wages, the concern we have is the impact on employment, then allowing wages to be set in markets, and then having the government choose some income level uh, below which the government decides that's too low, and then the government then uh, by any of various means uh, transfers incomes to those low-pay workers. Uh, that process will will not create involuntary unemployment in the same way that a minimum wage will create involuntary unemployment. Now it might depending on how it's administered and what its, what its provisions are, it might prompt some people to, to stop working altogether or to work less, uh, but it will not have the negative impact on employment of the sort that economists complain about when they complain about the minimum mm -hmm. wage. Uh, so it, 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 it uh, almost any policy that uh, restricts the ability of prices, including wages, to move according to market forces, I think is a very bad policy. And in almost all cases, whether we're talking about price ceilings on, on gasoline or, 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 or staple goods or, or price floors, such as a minimum wage below which the price is not allowed to fall, uh, there are almost always other government policies that are superior to those, that, that, that are better uh, able to bring about the desired goal without having the negative impact hmm. of the of the interference with the pricing mechanism. Now, other issues are implicated, and reasonable people can and do disagree about the merits of these other policies. But but if, if forced to choose, if someone said, "Look, we want to help low skill workers," one option is we're going to raise the minimum wage, whether whether in full or whether in a tiered fashion. Another option is we're going to have a, uh, we're not going to mess with wages at all. We'll let wages be determined by whatever they are in the market, but uh, we'll have a government transfer program. Which option, it, you have to choose one of the two options, Boudreaux. Which one do you choose? I choose the second. Interesting. Uh, you know, the way you answered that makes me think of Milton Friedman's, um, he, he came up with a, a universal basic income approach that was, I, I think, described negative, as a negative income negative tax. Negative income tax is what he called it, yeah. But you think there, that there's good justification for that type of approach? Uh, so I'm I'm a pretty libertarian kind of person. I'm mm -hmm. against I'm I'm against even that. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, 
but I prefer that to uh, a minimum wage. I mean, if in, in this case, for me, it's, it's very simple. I mean, a, a minimum wage doesn't even achieve its ostensible goal. A minimum wage is meant to raise the incomes of all low-skilled workers. A minimum wage does not raise the income of all low-skilled workers. It actually reduces the income of some low-skilled workers to zero, in my view. At, while at the same time making the, 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 the jobs of other low-skilled workers more onerous than those jobs would otherwise be. So a minimum wage doesn't even achieve its ostensible goal. Uh, and, and, uh, and so it, 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 it fails pretty miserably by its own standards. A, a, a negative income tax, I think, or you know, universal basic income, uh, it has a better prospect of, of achieving its, its, its goals. And then the question becomes, at what cost uh, uh, does it achieve those goals, both in terms of, 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 of liberty and in terms of economic costs? Uh, that's where that discussion goes. But, but, but at least those kinds of proposals um, uh, arguably achieve their narrow goals in a way that the minimum wage does not even achieve its narrow goal. So there's nothing, in my view, there's nothing to be said for a minimum wage. It is, I think, a, 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 a cruel policy for low-skilled workers uh, uh, by rendering them unemployed and unemployable, causing some of them to have zero incomes, causing them to lose their prospects of getting job experience. Uh, 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 but it makes the proponents of minimum wages today feel good. They get to pound their chest self-righteously saying, I support the minimum wage. I voted for a minimum wage. I went, when Bill Clinton was in office, I remember it, 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 it really annoyed me. I remember, uh, actually, during the, 19, the new 2016 presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton uh, was talking about a minimum wage. She said, back when my husband was president, he gave Americans a, wage, a, a, a raise because the minimum wage rose when Bill Clinton was president of the U.S. Well, Bill Clinton didn't give anyone a raise. Bill Clinton signed legislation that forced employers to pay higher wages. Some workers did get higher wages. Um, but 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 Bill Clinton and his wife, they got to pound their chest. I support a minimum wage. See how great I am. Well, what about the unemployed workers that your policy caused, Bill? Uh, you know, you've, you really, you've really identified it. And this is always every time I have one of these conversations, it's where economics and politics collide because it's yeah. a, it's expensive to a politician to come up with a top up or a universal basic wage or a negative income tax that costs money out of the treasury. It costs yes. nothing to force employers to increase wages. That's, in fact, governments right. benefit from it because those workers that do end up getting the higher wage probably get pushed into a higher tax bracket and they generate more revenue out of it. This is a very good point. One of the ways, one of the rationales often given for a minimum wage is, goes something along these lines. Uh, uh, we're a wealthy society. We, we, we shouldn't have people earning wages that are, are this low or, 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 or living on incomes that are this low. Well, okay. All right. Then it, it, let's, let's accept that that's true. And let's accept that the government has a role in bringing that outcome about. Well, why impose the cost of doing that, of achieving that outcome, only on those employers who happen to employ low-skill workers? Let's then... Let's then Put that burden on the entire taxpaying public. But that's harder to sell. It's harder to sell for politicians to say, we're going to raise your taxes and we're going to take the, the, the proceeds of those taxes and we're going to give the proceeds to low-skilled workers, to, to low-pay workers. People say, oh, no, I don't like my taxes being raised. Uh, 
but when you raise the minimum wage, uh, you are imposing on a, a, a subset of the population, namely those employers who employ low-skilled workers, you're imposing on them exclusively the obligation to fulfill what you regard as a, a, a social obligation. Well, if it's a social obligation, it should be borne by everyone. And politicians should be honest about it. We're raising everyone's taxes, not just in, not just imposing the costs on low-skilled My work. goodness, you've actually, um, I think, also identified another inequality that I hadn't thought of until this moment. But the, the corporations most able to pay the higher wages are ones that probably don't employ that many low-wage workers. So it's the yeah. restaurants and the, and the retail shops that are already operating on tiny margins, as demonstrated by the fact that they continue to, to generate and go out of business frequently. Yeah. But well, those are not the ones that would bear the cost of the minimum wage increase, because most of those uh, incredibly well Wealthy come. I mean, I, I don't. Amazon has very many employees that are at the minimum wage. Maybe I'm wrong on that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, some of the I, high I, tech companies wouldn't have very many employees that are at minimum wage and wouldn't be impacted by those policies, even though they've got massive amounts of profit. So, so you, you're correct. I mean, the vast majority of workers who work for the minimum wage work in industries that are highly competitive. So you don't have minimum wage workers working on factory floors producing Fords and 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 Toyotas and 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 and. Uh, uh, whatever, you know, Apple products in Cupertino, California. Uh, these are people working in food retail, leisure and hospitality. That's the vast majority of low-skilled workers. So, so even companies that are very successful, like McDonald's or Walmart, so people say, well, Walmart, is, it's an incredibly successful company. It is a very successful company, but its profit margins are really thin. Mm. And so uh, Walmart... Uh, is 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 if, if you Walmart cannot raise because it, it's in retail, it's highly competitive. It's competing not only against Target and and mom and pop retailers, it's competing against Amazon uh, uh, and, and 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 many other retailers. And so, uh, you know, so many of which are online. So if Amazon, if Walmart has to raise its wages a bit, uh, and, and then it, and it tries to pass along those wages in the form of higher prices to its customers. That Walmart store is going to close mm -hmm. because it, it's no longer profitable. And one reason Walmart is profitable is because it knows how to run its 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 executives know how to run a business, and and its executives understand that if a store becomes unprofitable, you shut it down, or you dramatically reduce its scale because you, you you don't remain a profitable company by maintaining units that aren't making a profit. And uh, 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 so the 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 competitiveness of the industries in which low skill workers generally work is an important factor that's that that that's often missed by can, proponents. Can of I the propose a hypothesis to you? And I, sure. I wonder if there if there's any research to back this. Um, we are a, a far more unionized um, workplace in Canada than I think you are in the United States. And I have this hypothesis that part of the pressure to increase minimum wages is that that assists collective bargaining because if you do a massive bump to the minimum wage then the person who's at the lowest end of the pay grid on a union pay scale can say well heck if you're going to pay a dishwasher washer at a fast food restaurant $15 an hour my work is of higher value than that and therefore it causes the bump up to the to the wages all along the pay scale because you often see that it is public sector unions 
who are really pushing for these wage increases, although there'd be very few government public sector jobs, I would think, that would be paying at the low end of the scale. So I have this hypothesis that there's a connection there, that it's not necessarily to help the worker that ostensibly is being advocated on, but it's to help everybody else who would, would see the bump that would happen as a result of that change. So Professor Boudreau is going to grade your answer as an exam, and you get an A minus. A minus. Uh, what did I miss? You get it. So <laughs> you, you you got the you got the union interest correct, um, but you got the reason wrong. So A minus B plus. Um, so unions do support higher minimum minimum wages, but not for that reason so much. They may say that because it's it's kind of an easy thing to say, but the reason unions almost universally support minimum wages, this is true in the United States too, by the way, is that um, high-skilled workers and most union workers, are, most union workers are not low-skilled workers. They're, they're highly, more, more highly, workers with more high skills. High-skilled workers are a substitute for low-skilled workers. So you can, a, a company can perform a task using a larger number of low-skilled workers or a smaller number of high-skilled workers. Because the minimum wage makes the employment of low-skilled workers more costly, in many cases, that makes then the employment of higher skilled and hence more likely to be unionized workers wow. more likely. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, the history of the minimum wage in the United States is instructive on this, on this point. Uh, as I said, the U.S. minimum wage started in 1938 with the passage of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, and if you if you look at the congressional record, who, who lobbied for this minimum wage? It was owners of textile mills in New England and their labor unions in those textile mills. Who lobbied against it? Owners of textile mills in the American South, in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. Well, what's going on here? Um, the, the southern textile mills were starting to compete pretty effectively with the North, Northeastern textile mills. And the Northeastern textile mills understood they were losing, they were losing business to these Southern textile mills. And uh, uh, the Northeastern textile mills, uh, they, they had unionized workers. And so the way they arranged their production, uh, they, they used more machines in their mills and relatively fewer workers than did the Southern textile mills. The average wage in the northeastern textile mills, in, in, in Massachusetts and Rhode Island mostly, some in Pennsylvania, uh, was, was much higher than was the average wage in the southern textile mills where they used a lot more workers and, and relatively fewer machines. Um, and the, 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 the owners of the northeastern textile mills and their labor union leaders understood this. There's no, every, everyone who studied the history of the minimum wage in the United States, this includes people on the political left, agree that the, the minimum wage started in the U.S. not as an attempt to, to, to uplift low-skilled workers, to help low-skilled workers. It was an attempt to maintain the business of northeastern textile mills. It, 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 was, it was an attempt to support the profits of owners of textile mills in the Northeast and to support the wages hmm. of unionized textile mill workers in the Northeast uh, by damaging the competitiveness of textile mills in the South, uh, where, where those workers in the South, for many of them, their next best alternative, they were paid less than were, than were their comrades in, 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 in the Northeast. Uh, but in the South, 
a lot of these workers, their next best alternative was 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 uh, uh, tenant farming, uh, 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 sharecropping rather, uh, which is not a very good way to make a living. Hmm. Uh, and and so they were willing, they were very happy to have these jobs at relatively low wages in the southern textile mills, um, for a variety of reasons. The onset of the onset of World War II and the impending inflation and the and the militarization of the economy. Uh, for the the, su the southern textile mills survived uh, despite the passage of the minimum wage. But if you look at the history of, of the minimum wage, it was it was a union led measure. <laughs> to, to, you're going to make us all very cynical. You know, you're, as you were talking, I was thinking about the prohibition uh, uh, um, coalition that you had the temperance ladies who genuinely wanted to have less alcohol consumption and more and so that families would remain intact and there would be less problems at home but that also benefited al capone and uh, the gangsters who were who were profiteering wow. off the fact that we had limited markets it almost sounds like it's the same thing that we have a group of vested interests yes. who are advancing this for one reason, but it tugs at the heartstrings of those of us who think, well, it's just fair to pay people more. Mm -hmm. And I, I wonder how you how you can separate that too, because you, you do have, I wish I'd been able to read this column, but it was behind the paywall of the Wall Street Journal, but you talked about how saviors need victims. And I, I, I want you to flesh that out a little bit because I think a lot of us do have white knight syndrome that we, wow. we really think that, we can advance policy that will help others, but it, even if it, even if the policies don't achieve the target. So, so tell me your premise there. So, 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 so you have identified what we call the Baptist and bootleggers hypothesis. <laughs> this was first formulated by uh, a, the great economist Bruce Yandel, uh, who I was once a colleague of his at Clemson University. Bruce is now retired, but he wrote an article in 1983 where he said, you know, uh, I'm looking around, uh, he studied regulation. He said, I noticed that a lot of regulations has two kinds of supporters. One kind of supporter, these are people who genuinely in their heart believe that this stuff, that, that this regulation is good. And they have nothing material to gain from it. They just want it. On the other hand, you have another kind of supporter who they aren't motivated by anything that anyone would regard as noble motives. The regulation is going to profit them. So bootleggers and Baptists. So your, your example actually came very, very close to it. So if if uh, uh, if, if if you're a a bootlegger, uh, you you oppose uh, legalizing alcohol because that's how you make you make your living. Special you're you're a specialist in selling alcohol in places where it's illegal, and if alcohol sales become legal, you're out of a job. Your specialty no longer has any value. So you oppose legalizing alcohol. If you're a Baptist, someone who truly believes that it, you know, it's immoral to drink, you support uh, prohibition because you know, it's the right thing to do. And so when these two kind of coalitions come together, the Baptists speak for the bootleggers, probably unawares, but the bootleggers can sit back and say, you know, these people are really sincere. Let them press their case. Uh, they're very believable. No one doubts their sincerity. But let's hope they succeed, because if they succeed, that's going to mean money in our pockets. And so you have you have minimum wage supporters who uh, uh, it, 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 you mentioned Amazon. So I have a hypothesis about Amazon. I, I, I mentioned it as a hypothesis. because I haven't studied it. I can't say it's it's true. But Jeff Bezos, I know, has come out in support of a higher minimum wage. 
uh, here's a guess. Here, here's, here's a possibility. Jeff Bezos knows that most of his workers are paid wages higher than the minimum. Uh, and so if, the, if a minimum wage is imposed, this is going to have an impact on much smaller retailers, many of who, many of whom use workers who are paid minimum wages. And so if the minimum wage rises, it's going to damage these smaller retailers, thus meaning less competition for Amazon, thus a larger market for Amazon. So Jeff Bezos can play the Baptist. Oh, I'm all in favor of a minimum wage because I'm a good guy, right? <laughs> Perhaps no understanding that, wow, but if the minimum, this is the bootlegger speaking in his back, in, in the back of his head, uh, huh, that's because when the minimum wage goes up, I'm going to have even less competition because the rise in the minimum wage is going to eliminate some of my competitors and I'll become even richer. Uh, now, again, I, I, I can't say for sure that's what's motivating Jeff Bezos. I haven't studied it. But uh, uh, Walmart also did this ploy, too, a number of years ago. They came out in support of a minimum, of a minimum wage. Um, it's almost always the case. If you find a regulation that, that has some good impact, it's very often the case. And I won't say almost always. It's very often the case that you can find uh, some interest group. Uh, that stands to gain materially, just in, in, in terms of just more money in that interest group's pockets because of that regulation. And, you know, no one wants to come out publicly and say, you know, let's regulate this way because that's going to be more money for me. That doesn't sound very good. That's, that's terrible PR. So those people stand in the background and they let the, the, the Baptists, the people who are genuinely, sincerely motivated, speak in favor of the regulation. And the Baptists, in most cases, don't even realize that their, their favorite proposal actually has this very pernicious uh, anti-competitive effect as, as they typically do. Well, they will after watching this podcast. At least then we can <laughs> try to so. get to some sensible policy solutions. Before I get to that, what I'm, I want to run one more policy sure. idea by you. But, you know, I hadn't read the word monopsony since my economics days. And you did you did write about this. And I want to just explore what that means and whether or not it exists in the real world. So it's this notion that if you only have one buyer, I imagine then that means that they've got the market power yeah. to be able to pay whatever it is they choose. And therefore, that's why you have to regulate. It's because that nasty monopsonistic buyer is going to make sure that they're not paying people a fair wage and keep all the profits for themselves. So I, I think that's the concept behind it. Again, you can grade me if my understanding is correct. But I think the concept is one that maybe not maybe doesn't exist in the real world. Maybe it once did in the past, but maybe it doesn't exist in this modern uh, economy that we have that does have so much competition and so much ease of entry. Can, can you explore that a bit? So theoretically, you, you're exactly, you get an A on your theoretical Huge. description of, of monopsony. So just as I would be a monopolist in, if, if, I, if the government gave me the exclusive right, say, to sell reading glasses, no one else could compete with me. Uh, I am a monopsonist if I am the sole buyer of a particular type of labor, for example. I have a monopsony in that particular type of labor. And so just as a monopolist gets to raise its prices higher than otherwise, a monopsonist pushes the prices that it pays lower than otherwise. There's only one economically well, there's only one economically theoretically feasible way in which a minimum wage can uh, have no negative impact on workers. And that is if the employer has monopsony power. 
you can draw. I, mean, I did this when I was an undergraduate, you know, 40 years ago. We, we, all good undergraduate programs in, in economics teach this. This is this is hardly news to uh, any decently trained economist. You can draw and easily draw a graph showing that if an employer has monopsony power, the employer uh, is paying wages that are too low, wages that don't fully reflect the productivity of the workers that are employed by that employer. And so there is a range over which a, the government can come in and set a minimum wage uh, that not only does not cause unemployment, but actually will increase the employment of workers. So workers are benefited. Now, the employer is harmed because the employer uh, uh, loses its ability to reap extra profits off of these exploited workers. But there is no damage to workers. So there is a theoretical possibility that a minimum wage set just so uh, can have no negative impact on workers. Now the question becomes, how realistic is this mm -hmm. in the real world? For it to be realistic, two things have to happen. The, the employer not only has to have monopsony power in over labor, the employer also has to have a monopoly in selling its output. Because if it doesn't have a monopoly, then it's lower cost that it gets from having monopsony over workers, if that employer doesn't have monopoly, then the output prices that the employer sells at will be bid down because the employer doesn't have a monopoly. And so not having a monopoly, the employer is going to be compelled to lower its prices. So the, the, the but, but theoretically, this is possible. What uh, is but, the closest to that in the real world? And I'm trying I, so to think I, of an industry. I, I, I think as a matter of, I think as a practical matter, I think it's non-existent in, hmm. in countries such as the United States or Canada. We have, we have immense uh, mobi mobility uh, uh, in, in, in these countries. We have, we have communication. Uh, so, you know, you, 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 you can learn from the media. You can learn from talking to your cousins in Sask Saskatchewan or, or, or Nova Scotia what the wages are there. They can learn from you what the wages are there. We, we in America, we, we, we know what wages are. The, the notion that an employer in the United States uh, has any firm control uh, over workers is, I think, ludicrous. And, and, and this gets back, actually, even, it's even more important here, the, the fact, the, 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 the benefit of being a low-skilled worker. Uh, you, you have a lot of options, right? Mm -hmm. So McDonald's is exploiting you, go to Burger King. Uh, fast food restaurants are exploiting you, work for the lawn care company. They're exploiting you, work for the motel. They're exploiting you, work for a handyman service. Low-skilled workers have lots of options because they're, they're, they're not highly specialized. So, and so the, the notion that monopsony power exists in reality, I think is ludicrous. I, I think it just does not pass the smell test. Now, you will talk to econ other, other economists, not a majority of economists, but there are a number of economists out there who say, oh, no, 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 uh, it's, it, it's real. Uh, there, there is monopsony power. And what I tell these economists is, okay, really? Then start your own business, right? Because mm -hmm. if you've identified monopsony power, basically what you've identified is a lot of underpaid workers. If you've identified underpaid workers, you can make a mint, go into business in competition with their employers. And start your own companies and hire them away. They'll be happy to work for you at the higher wages you pay them. And you'll be able to, to, to hire them on the cheap because they're currently being underpaid. 
And when I, when I tell this to my fellow economists who argue that, that monopsony power is real, they stare at me like I'm a dummy. And I said, I'm not a dummy. Go do it. And they said, oh, I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm just an economist. I said, well, then shut up. Right? <laughs> then shut up. Right? Let, <laughs> me then, let me pose one last thing to you, because yeah. I think what you persuaded me in this conversation is that the conversation about how you support a low-wage individual who has family obligations and is living um, in poverty is, is, a te- is a separate argument than the one we're having here. The minimum wage discussion should be around how do you ensure that you've got the maximum number of opportunities for people who are low skill, no skill, yes. and need that, that first step on the ladder. Yes. Is, is, that, is that how we should be talking about minimum wage? It's a much better way to put it. Yes, that's how we should be talking about it. The minimum, the entry level work, which is what the minimum wage generally affects, um, uh, is, is again, not, uh, not remotely overwhelmingly for for heads of households, uh, is it's about getting the first on the first rung of the of of, of the employment ladder. It's about opportunity for young people to get employment, uh, uh, and and to to deny people employment by pricing them out of the labor market. I think is cruel. Look. Workers get paid in competitive labor markets. And again, I believe that the labor market in the United States is highly competitive in, in almost all cases. I, I don't know as much about the Canadian labor market. I is probably pretty competitive as well. Uh, workers get paid, the wages they get paid reflect their productivity. You do not make a worker more productive by, by simply declaring legislatively that you're worth more. Right? Uh, an example I used to use so I used to have two Nobel Prize winners as colleagues. One has since died, the other has since retired. But in my younger days, I had two Nobel Prize winners on, that I shared a faculty with, and uh, Jim Buchanan and Vernon Smith. And uh, I would say, uh, you know, I would tell my class, I said, look, so suppose Congress said, we're going to pass a minimum wage for economists. No economist should be paid less than uh, uh, $600,000 a year. Now, $600,000 is much more than I get paid. And would I like to get paid $600,000 a year? You bet. But would I want Congress to mandate that I get paid $600,000 a year? No way, because I'm not worth that much as an economist. I would lose my job, even though I have tenure. George Mm -hmm. Mason would find a way to to fire me. But back in the day when I had Nobel Prize winners, they might have liked that because, so Don Boudreau gets fired, many of my other colleagues get fired, but they still need some economists. So which economists do they keep? They keep the Nobel Prize winners. So so the Nobel Prize winning colleagues of mine, their salaries might have been bumped up from whatever they were to 600000 But mine would have gone from 600000 to zero as an economist. I had to find something else, else to do. Uh, and, 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 and so it, 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 you don't make someone more productive, worth more to an employer, simply by declaring that they are worth more. Uh, you harm that person by, by forcing them to demand a higher wage and by denying them the opportunity to work at wages at which they can find a job. You think that you, not you personally, but people who advocate minimum wages believe themselves to be noble and holier than thou because they support a minimum wage. That's only because these people do not understand the way economies work. 
Well, thank you so much for bringing this clarity to the discussion. I appreciate your time today. No, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That is Professor Donald Boudreau. He is the Martha and Nelson Getchell Chair for the Study of Free Market Capitalism at the Mercatus Center and also a professor of economics, George Mason University, of course, as well as senior fellow at the Fraser Institute. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe on YouTube and wherever you stream your podcasts. And to stream old episodes, learn more about the show, and where to subscribe and submit your questions for future guests, visit FraserForum.org. 